Hey, check out the NPR One app for your phone. You can use it to listen to How to Do Everything, and it's a great way to find tons of new shows and stories. Great hand-curated podcasts and stories are always ready when you are on NPR One. Find it on your app store, NPR O-N-E. Voice call received 626 a.m. Thursday, March 17th. Hi, this is Whitney. I was wondering if I should go to the gym or sleep for another hour. Please stay asleep. All right, Whitney, this is a serious problem. And it happens that Mike and I disagree about what's the right choice here. I believe that you should stay in bed. So, and, and I believe you should get up and go to the gym. And so I think what we're going to do here, uh, this is only going to work if you're wearing uh, headphones, is we are actually, we're going to pan ourselves to either side as if there were uh, an angel on one, one shoulder. And then Ian will be on the other side. Um, okay, so here it goes. Well, first of all, Whitney, sleep is very important. And anyone who's looked into sleep research knows that the longer you sleep, the more creative you are, the healthier you are, uh, you'll probably live longer if you stay in bed and get an extra hour of sleep. Whitney, do you like bumblebees? Everybody loves bumblebees. Did you know that bumblebees start their day when it's cold by warming up with exercise? They don't even attempt to fly before exercising. Don't you want to fly today, Whitney? Whitney, if you get out of bed and you make your bed, you have a greater chance of getting bed bugs. Because if your bed is messy, the bed bugs have no areas to, to crawl into the covers. This is true, this is based on research, that a made bed is more likely to get bed bugs. Wait, so Whitney, uh, Mike is trying to convince you to stay in bed by reminding you about the existence of bed bugs, reminding you that there very well may be bugs crawling all over your body right now. and. I don't know, but maybe one way to get rid of them would be to get out of the bed, go to the gym, and then take that post-gym shower, which will both feel great, you've already worked out, and you're no longer covered with the blood-sucking insects that Mike just mentioned. Whitney, I just pulled up some information from the CDC that says that the number of emergency room visits for unintentional injuries, it's 31 million. That's how many people get hurt This was in 2011. You will not be injured if you stay in bed another hour. I would argue that there are many possible bed-related injuries. Do you have a roof above you? She probably does. That roof could fall. Stay where you are. Think how cold it is outside right now, Whitney. Whitney, did you know that in Brazil, there's a prison where the prisoners ride exercise bikes? And that powers the lights, the street lights in the next town over. And if they agree to do this, they can reduce their prison sentence. So I think you should um, go to the gym to celebrate the fact you have a choice to go to the gym, just as, uh, as an assertion of your personal freedom. I think if you stay in bed, Whitney, you will be able to luxuriate in that freedom and not have to experience the hardship that they inflict on prisoners riding a stationary bike or doing really anything that people do at the gym. I will concede, if if the lights in your apartment are powered by prisoners down the road, 
you're giving them a break by staying in bed because you don't have to turn the lights on. Yeah. Whitney, Whitney, I think maybe the best way to convince you to get out of bed is to remind you that in 1983, Arnold Schwarzenegger released an album of exercise songs, which could very well be playing when you get to the gym. And uh, it's, it's not his own music. What he did was he took other people's songs and just counted off workout moves on top of it. I'm going to play a little bit right now uh, as a preview for what might await you if you were to get Five, out of bed. Six, seven, and concentrate on your chest. Ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and keep going. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, keep pressing, keep pressing. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Five more. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And one big one. Yes. One time when I lived in Philadelphia, I, I went for a run. And I finished up my run and I was walking, you know, 100 yards to my car. And there was a rainbow. I could see this rainbow. And coming the other direction with her back to this rainbow was this, like, maybe... 85-year-old woman, and I stopped her, and I said, look, there's a rainbow, and she turned around, and she said, I've never seen one before. Wow. But I always think about that as, like, yeah. like why do you go, like, if nothing else, going to the gym right now, mm-hmm. or going for a run, you're going to run into people, and weird things happen. Weird and great things happen when you run into people. So, Whitney, if you want to meet a strange old lady that you have absolutely nothing in common with, at least rainbow-wise, get out of bed. Otherwise, it's so warm in bed. It's just so cozy right now. Don't ruin that. Stay where you are. Bed, Bed is nice. All right, I'm over here now. All right, we have two people on the line right now, Ankita and her roommate, Aditi. So, Aditi, what can we help you with? Well, we had an unfortunate incident in our house. (laughs) Okay. I put eggs to boil. I do this normally. I I put them to boil, and then I go upstairs and do all the things I have to do in the morning, and then by the time I'm done, they're ready. But this particular morning, I just had a lot on my mind, and I forgot. Mm. And then all of a sudden we heard a big explosion. Actually, Ankita wasn't home. The other roommate was downstairs. There was an explosion. I heard her scream. <gasps> I still forgot that they were my eggs, and I asked her if she was okay. And, and then she told me to come downstairs, and I saw literally a million pieces of egg all over the kitchen, and wow. I realized what I did. Oh, my. So, <laughs> so I immediately started cleaning it up, you can't imagine how much mess two eggs can actually make. <laughs> um, and then I left the ceiling for the end because it's the hardest to reach. And once I got to the ceiling, it wasn't coming off at all. Okay. And this was Aditi. This was you. You did this. Yeah, it was me. I did it. <laughs> okay. And Ankita, what happened? When did you discover what had happened? Well, I got home pretty late. And then I walked into the kitchen. And it looked like a Smurf had been, like, murdered on the ceiling. <laughs> Wait, what? Because <laughs> the, the Brillo pads left, like, the blue mark. So there are, there are three roommates in, the, in this house? Currently there's 
four. Okay, four roommates. Um, I have to ask, since since this incident, how many times have the four of you talked about the explosion? How many times has the word <laughs> explosion been said? <laughs> it's it's been used a lot. So, Ankita and Aditi, we want to help you, and we really we think that your ceiling is great, but I think we all have to acknowledge it is not the greatest ceiling in the world. So to help you guys out, we're going to bring in someone, someone very qualified, someone who does know the greatest ceiling in the world. Could you um, just introduce yourself and what you do for us? I have a name like a railroad train. The full extent is Kathleen Weil Garris Brandt. And my friends call me Katya, as I hope you will. And in your career, one of the things you were involved with was the restoration and conservation of the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, the many times in the past, attempts had been made to clean the Sistine ceiling, the vault of the Sistine Chapel and its walls as well, uh, because they were getting darker and darker. And the reason was people come to it and they bring from the outdoors with them uh, dust and every possible particle matter that you could imagine, all body fluids and acids and everything. And because the chapel is so high, it also means that convection currents are set up so that everything that is in the air is carried up and attaches to the ceiling. And after a while, you just really couldn't see anything at all. And you were you were part of this team that was restoring and conserving it in the the project starting in 1980. That's right. Can so were you up on the scaffolding, actually, sort of in touch with the the ceiling? Those are exactly the right words. I was up on the scaffolding all the time, wow. which this first scaffold you know it took several years. First, it's very much like a complicated diagnosis, which involves surgery and medicine. And I always thought of myself as a brave athletic girl. But in those days in the, in the Vatican, you had to wear a skirt. Uh -huh. And so out of false polit politeness, um, some authority behind me said, all right, ma'am, if you will go up first. I went up the ladder quite a ways and suddenly I was terrified. You know, I got stuck the way one does looking down. The thing is, after all, the ceiling is like 90 feet above ground floor. Yeah. I got absolutely paralyzed. Behind me came this whole row of Vatican dignitaries, and I realized that unless I overcame my terror and moved fast, they were all going to back up under my behind me wearing a wide skirt. And so I'm here to tell you that terror of embarrassment will overcome fear of heights. And I'm not a tall person, but standing on the scaffolding at the top of the vault, I extend my arm, I can put my hand against the fresco, and it's like the skin of a beautiful animal. It's not smooth, it's bumpy, it's warm, it's dry. The figures are much bigger than we are ourselves. Well, I, I'm i curious um, what surprises you found up there, um, things you didn't expect from that vantage point. Well, it always begins where you want to start. Uh, we saw where 
the older and cracked open chapel had been stuffed with plaster and with straw and bunches of playing cards and the sort of old lunch of the uh, mason who was repairing a vault. There were you're, you're saying there were playing cards and, and someone's old lunch stuck in the ceiling of the That's Sistine right. Chapel. That's right, and a dish of beans and every kind of thing, tools that had been lost and stuck in the plaster, and it, just as filler because part of the vaults uh, were simply destroyed and need to be strengthened. Well, Katja, speaking of imperfect ceilings, we're hoping you can help us with another ceiling that we've heard about. And what would that be? It's uh, It belongs to these two women. It's a ceiling that has exploded egg all over it. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, one of the one of the women, uh, Aditi, put some eggs uh, on a, in a pot to boil, and she <laughs> forgot about it. The water evaporated, and then the eggs exploded. Ladies, I have bad news. Not only is it going to smell, but it's going to smell a lot because molds and bacteria will delightedly feed upon it. Do you recommend... Would one solution, Katja, be then to maybe paint a beautiful fresco on top of the exploded egg and just cover it up that way, kind of like what Michelangelo did? Well, you know, I'm not a chicken guru, but from my limited experience, I would strongly, strongly advise against it. From (laughs) uh, a painter to poultry, the problem is the same that the different materials that are in one way or another attached to each other respond in anarchic, different, contradictory ways depending on uncontrollable external factors, heat, cold, wet, you know, and they behave in different ways and they tend to upset each other. Can I ask, Katya, this might be a strange question, but uh, as one of the few people who's been so close to the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, did it have a smell? It had different smells because in various pockets, physical, you know, the painting is just the skin of the body of the architecture. And so depending on the shapes of the architecture, which will capture breeze or strengthen the breeze, you get different smells. And whether there are candles on or it's in the winter or summer when people are sweating more, you get different smells and in different corners, all those things too. It's a big climatological problem. And say this too, uh, if you put in one kind of lighting, you're going to get one flora and fauna. And if you put in another kind, that will change too. Well, Katya, this has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much. Well, all good luck to uh, the poultry people. And as I say, my only hope is that they get to be free-range chickens and people. Now's part of our show where we thank our sponsors who give us money. Stamps.com. 
Mailing and shipping can seem like a no-win situation. Trips to the post office are time-consuming, and leasing a postage meter is expensive and ridiculous. It's astounding. There's a better way, stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer. Sign up for stamps.com for a special offer, a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone, and enter everything. This week, we're also brought to you by Casper Mattresses. But before we talk to you about Casper, we want to bring on a special guest. Yeah, my name's Mike Vecchione. I am a NOAA zoologist. And can you tell us about the creature that was uh, recently discovered by NOAA's deep sea exploration ship? Yeah, the creature you're referring to is a, uh, a deep sea octopod. I can't give you a scientific name because we're not anywhere close to describing it uh, taxonomically. But I can tell you that uh, a friend of mine uh, looked at the picture and said, uh, I shall call you Casper. The idea is it looks like Ca- Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah, it's it's sort of ghostly looking, and uh, it it does look a little bit like Casper if you look at some of the cartoons of uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Okay, well, uh, this seems like uh, the perfect time to talk about one of our sponsors, Casper. They're an online retailer for mattresses. Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. Would you say that um, the Octopod, which we're calling Casper is uh, comfortable? I, I assume it's comfortable living in the deep sea because that's, that's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Casper mattresses have two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. Would you say that uh, your Casper is, uh, is bouncy? I doubt very much that it's bouncy. It's, it's more like a jellyfish, actually. Ah, so more... More on the sink side than the bounce side. Uh, yeah, probably. If, if you touched it, you, your finger would sink into it, probably. Oh. Casper Mattress has a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper Mattress for 100 days with free delivery and returns. It's outrageous comfort at a polite price. Now, if another creature were to meet uh, your Casper, do you think it would describe it as, as polite? I doubt that very much. It would either be something that Casper wanted to eat or something that wanted to eat Casper, or it would just ignore Casper entirely. You can go to casper.com slash everything to check out their options, and they have a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Use the promo code everything to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. Terms and conditions apply. How does uh, an organism like your Casper sleep? Well, I'm not sure that sleep is an appropriate word for it. Um, in the deep sea, there's no day and night. It's always dark and cold. And uh, so... Kind of no such thing as, as bedtime down there. Um, well, there probably are good times and bad times, but uh, uh, probably not bedtimes. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? Well, I learned that for hundreds of years, there was someone's lunch in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Do you think that's what God was reaching for? It, it had nothing to do with creating Adam. Yeah. Sorry. Nope, not you. It's that my beans. Those are God's beans. Not yours, Adam. 
I also, I will say also that um, the Sistine Chapel, the ceiling fresco, darkened over time. Yeah. And um, well, we learned that 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 darkness was actually us. It was centuries of people walking through there, the the dust that we brought in, but also the oil from our bodies. Yeah. And so, I find it kind of amazing that you would have walked in and you wouldn't have just seen, you know, a somewhat dimmed uh, creation of Adam, but you would have seen something of every person that had walked in there before you. Every offspring of Adam. Yeah. How to Do Everything is produced by Nadia Wilson with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Rusty. Rusty is in charge of making sure that all of our coins are collected and counted correctly. I'm sorry for all that alliteration. Great work, Rusty. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And you can visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. This podcast may be over, but I bet your ears are still hungry for more listening. Check out a preview of NPR's newest podcast, Embedded. It's a deep look at stories in the news. Learn what it's like to be in the middle of El Salvador's gang war or to be a biker in a Texas shootout. If you're listening right now and you have been a biker in a Texas shootout, you'll still likely learn something from this. Find Embedded now at npr.org slash podcasts or on the NPR One app.